friends. Welcome to Now with Fiona, the podcast where we explore rather direct questions about the LGBTQ community that many people are just too afraid to ask. Hello, my lovely listener. It's me, your Auntie Fiona. I know this conversation is going to be really juicy, especially as the topic keeps getting hotter. I'm eager for my dad to learn about this one, so I'm delighted to have brought in an expert to explain. I met Shane Diamond at the Bentonville Film Festival in Arkansas, where we both had film screening in 2021. You'll tell through our conversation that he's charismatic and has a warm and genuine passion for his work. Shane is an educator, transgender advocate, communications professional, and former collegiate women's ice hockey player. He's also a proud New Mexican. It's thrilling to see the awards and nominations for the documentary film Changing the Game, for which Shane is currently serving as the Impact Campaign Producer. Most recently, the film earned an Emmy nomination for exceptional merit in documentary filmmaking. The film takes us into the lives of three high school athletes, all at different stages of their athletic seasons, personal lives and unique paths as transgender teens. There's wrestler Mac Beggs in Texas, skier Sarah Rose Huckman in New Hampshire and sprinter Andrea Yearwood in Connecticut. The stories give me chills and have me jumping out of my seat, screaming, just let them play for goodness sake. For his work, Shane has been featured as one of Maine Magazine's 50 Mainers Balancing Heritage and Progress, and most recently shared his own story of survival through sports with Condé Nast's LGBTQ vertical, Them. Shane lives in Brooklyn, New York with his partner and their dog, where you can also find him writing and performing stand-up comedy. So let's dive into this juicy conversation and welcome my new friend, Shane Diamond. Yay! Hey, Shane! (laughs) Hi, Fiona. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so, so excited to be here and really, truly honored to be one of your new friends. Well, thank you so much. I I am thrilled for it too. And I'm looking forward to all the other future endeavors we're going to do together in this work of advocacy that we so love. When I was preparing this interview, I couldn't stop typing the questions that I could ask you. Like the list is so long. So I feel like we just need to like dive right in to the cheeky question from the chapter title of my book. I cannot wait to hear how you're going to answer this one. So are you ready for it? Let's do it. Awesome. Why does allowing athletes who are transgender to compete in school sports make America great? Mm, I love that. This is the cheekiest. And of course, I assume you've gotten into this in other podcasts and, and of mm-hmm. course, in your book. And when we talk about people who are transgender, this means their gender identity is not the same as the sex they were assigned at birth. Correct. Trans is the prefix for opposite. So as our language evolves, we continue to learn and evolve. So I'm a transgender man. So mm-hmm. my gender identity as a man does not match the sex I was assigned at birth, which is a girl or a woman or a female. Yeah. And so when we talk about allowing transgender athletes and kids who are transgender to participate in school sports and why this makes America great. It is because we are allowing kids opportunities to learn and grow and participate in something bigger than themselves. Yeah. When we think about the reasons why many of us played these sports and why we continue to enjoy sports, both as maybe we participate still ourselves, maybe we are big sports fans, It's because it allows us to be part of something bigger than ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we learn how to win and we learn how to lose and we learn how to make mistakes and keep going. 
We learn how to be on time and reliable and how to share and how to communicate. And these are all things that make us the people that we are. And it's a beautiful way to teach some of these lessons through participating. Correct. And having lived in America for nearly 22 years now, I'm very close to how important sports are in this country in particular, I think. And so I think a lot of what you said, practically everybody would agree with you. What I've heard, even amongst liberal-leaning, democratic-voting people, even within the LGBTQ community, I have heard people say that they think trans people do deserve all of the benefits of playing sports, but their participation takes away from cis people, especially cis women playing sports, and they should just have their separate category because they should have all of those benefits, of course, but they shouldn't take away from the women and the girls. And I think Leah Thomas's win in swimming, they kind of pointed to that and look, see, trans women are just like always going to take over and beat cisgender women. It's not fair. Give them their own category. What do you say to that? We have seen that separate but equal is not a thing. So having a separate category exclusively for trans athletes is not the same as allowing trans athletes to participate with the general population. And of course, if we're going to talk about transgender athletes, I want to make sure we're talking about cisgender athletes and people. Correct. So cis means same. So if your gender identity matches the sex you were assigned at birth, you are cisgender. And I love that for you. Yeah. Most people in the world yeah, are cisgender. <laughs> yeah. But I want to make sure that we're when we talk about transgender people, we're also talking about cisgender people, because if we only talk about trans people, this continues to other trans people or people of trans experience. Mm -hmm. And that is not what we're trying to do, of course, as we talk about the importance of inclusion. So A number one, separate but equal is not a thing. We cannot have separate categories and say that this yeah. is equal. I think we've heard that in other fights, haven't we? Yeah, it sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? Painfully familiar. <laughs> <laughs> The other thing too, if we're, you know, if we want to keep in this thread of talking about Leah Thomas, the NCAA swimmer from the University of Pennsylvania, who won the Division One National Championship in swimming, if she were to compete only in a category for trans athletes, she would most likely be the only one. So <laughs> yes. what kind of a competition is that? I know. She would just win by default. Because apparently there are no more than five students in Arkansas and nine in Ohio who have been, who had recognized as being trans athletes. Like there are so few trans people and then trans athletes in the world. There aren't enough trans people to have their own competition anyway, right? Absolutely. And there's been a lot of rhetoric in the past two years, really, about trans women taking over sports and the need to protect women's sports. And I'm using air quotes here. Yeah. And as you said, there's a lot of conversation around keeping women's sports exclusively for cisgender women. So we've got a couple of faults in here. One, trans women are women and trans men are men. Mm -hmm. And if you do not fundamentally believe that trans women are women, we need to have a conversation about that before we talk about participation in sports. Because yeah. trans women are women, trans men are men. I am a trans man. I am no less of a man than anyone else. And more importantly, I'm no less of a person. Mm -hmm. And so as this rhetoric ratchets up and we hear more and more about protecting women's sports or saving women's sports, and again, I'm using air quotes, yeah. What we need to be focusing on instead are the disparities between men's and women's sports that exist already. Yeah. So 
an example of this was the NCAA basketball tournament, and I believe 2021, yeah. where uh, an NCAA basketball, women's basketball player went viral on Twitter for posting what the women's weight room looked like in comparison to the men's weight. And this is yeah. division one playoff basketball. And the women yeah. had a dumbbell and a bench and a fan and hopes and dreams. And of course, yeah. the men's weight room was stocked with top of the line equipment and enough for everybody. And it was in a beautiful facility. And so when we yeah. talk about protecting women's sports, it's talking about putting equal funding into women's sports. It's having more women coaches, more women officials. It's giving women more and more opportunities to participate in the same ways that men traditionally have had access to participate. Yeah. So that I think is the first part is if we want to talk about protecting and saving women's sports, this needs to happen in and of itself. And it has nothing to do with allowing trans women who are women to participate in women's sports. You know, you talk about this in your book, but looking at the pay inequities between the men's yeah. and women's um, national soccer teams, the men's yeah. soccer team is horrible. Yeah. They lose all the time. Their salaries are exorbitantly higher than the women. Yeah. And the women win World Cups and Olympic gold medals, aside from this past year when Canada won, which was a great thing. And so that is how we're going to protect and save women's sports is by creating more opportunities for women to succeed. The other part in this is really a second wave feminist approach, which is I fought so hard to participate in women's sports. I was there for the start of Title IX. I had to fight and claw my way in to be able to participate in any capacity as a woman in women's sports. And therefore, you should have to fight too. And that is something that I fundamentally disagree with. My journey and the work that I do as a trans person, and I've chosen to be very publicly trans, it's in mm. all of my bios, you don't have to Google that hard to find out that I'm transgender, mm. is because I want to use this platform and this privilege that I have as a cis-assumed, white, able-bodied, middle-class, relatively attractive man to lift up those who don't share or don't want the same privilege that I have. So my hope in all of the work that I do is that the next generation of trans people, however old they might be, someone's coming out as trans as a child or if they're coming out in middle age, I don't want them to fight as hard as I had to fight to have access to the resources that I have access. Yeah. And that's also where it's really hard for me to look at these arguments about protecting women's sports by excluding trans women because this is not what sports are about. Yeah. This is about giving everyone an opportunity to show up and run around and work out some energy and meet new yeah. people and learn new things. And that yeah. should be irrespective of gender. Yeah. I'm pleased that you picked up Title IX because here in Texas, I've attended a number of different hearings, listening to people's testimony for and against particular bills that have been passing through the Texas legislature. And of course, you know, in 2021, kids lost the right to play with their friends, <laughs> according to the correct gender. And listening to the testimonies, I saw many, I assume, cis women who would bring up Title IX all the time and saying, you know, I had to fight for this and like I've done all this work for women's equality and, you know, it's not fair. They're just not seeing trans women and girls as girls. They're so stuck on this biology and this binary biology of like what your sex tissue, chromosomes and hormones are what determine gender, they think. But of course, you know, we we know that to put it as a very 101 bare bones level, sex is primarily visible between your legs. Gender is not visible, but between your ears and wired into your brains. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, people are completely overlooking the fact 
that around one in 100 individuals are born intersex, meaning that they have any combination of male and female sex tissue, chromosomes and hormones. And then an additional to that, we have non-binary genders where we have people that don't fit into a in their brains, 100% male and female. Where do these people fit within your world? You know, why are we categorizing everything as men do this and women do that? And then excluding this whole other delicious percentage of our population of human beings. Like, what would be your solution for that? And like, how do we advocate for intersex and non-binary people within sports when we're faced with these two male and female categories? You said a lot of juicy tidbits in there, and I'm really happy to (laughs) respond to all of this. I think first, you know, we see so much rhetoric around biological men and biological women, and that's inaccurate. So when we think about our biology, it is a mixture of chromosomes, of hormones, anatomy, and what we are labeled when we talk about sex assigned at birth. This is a sex that is assigned to us by doctors when we pop out or when we are taken out. And that designation is based almost exclusively on visible external genitalia. Mm-hmm. And Which is rather private information as well, by the way, which yeah. is why I have a huge thing against these silly gender reveal parties because they're not. They're a genital reveal party. Oh, my gosh. It's, I can't even. <laughs> like, you should have a gender reveal party when your child tells you what their gender is. Yes, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But carry on. So that's, you know, there's a lot of kind of weaponizing of this term of biological sex, but it's not accurate because what we're talking about is sex assigned at birth. And this is something that is given to babies, right? It is assigned to them. We don't get to choose this when we are born. And your statistic about, about one in 100 people being born with intersex traits or intersex variations is about the same number as people who are redheads. Yep. So it is extremely common. And A lot of people who are born with intersex traits or intersex characteristics often don't know. The example that I give is if someone who's assigned female at birth is having a tough time getting pregnant and they might do an ultrasound and find out that she has undescended testes or has a uterus that Mm -hmm. doesn't want to make babies, right? And so this could be an example of someone who's born with intersex traits or intersex characteristics, but Mm -hmm. doesn't know until there's been a little bit more digging and a little bit more information gathering. So that's kind of A number one is talking about sex assigned to birth versus talking about biological sex because biological Mm -hmm. sex exists on a spectrum. And what we are most often presented with is visible external genitalia. And there's so much conversation right now around where athletes with intersex variations fit into sports because as you said, sports are generally broken up into the gender binary, right? This idea that you are either male or female, you are a man or a woman, you're one or the other and ne'er the two shall meet. Yeah. And that's a conversation we could have on a totally separate podcast. But for the most part, those athletes should be able to participate with their gender identity, according to their gender identity, which is what we're saying about allowing trans women to participate, allowing all kids to participate. And of course, non-binary athletes face a separate challenge because we have a binary sports system. And there are some organizations, uh, New York Roadrunners, for example, are doing a really incredible job of creating races and categories for non-binary athletes. And what is remarkable about this, and we talked earlier about having a separate but equal category, what's remarkable with some of these road races is that they are creating prize money and awards so that you can enter as a non-binary competitor or athlete 
and you're still going to compete and you still have a chance to win something more than just a participation trophy. Yeah. And so those are some examples of what's happening that's really amazing that we're seeing for non-binary inclusion. But for the most part, athletes have to pick and choose and often delay when they're going to come out in order to participate in sports. So what you're saying is in New York that that's three categories, so male, non-binary, female. Yeah, New York Roadrunners, they put on like the New York Marathon and the New York Half Marathon. They are recognizing their athletes who do not identify as male or as female, and they're creating an opportunity for these people to run and compete and participate and feel like their whole selves Yeah, and show up and also have access to prizes and to prize money and to trophies and to competition and not just be sort of sidelined in this other category. Yeah. So it's different from being separate but equal. It's here are more options <laughs> as opposed to, oh, you're the sidebar. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, running is an individual sport. And so we as a community of activists are still doing the work to create more spaces for non-binary athletes within the binary sports system that we have, Yeah, which is an important fight. But I want to just rewind us back a little bit to the title of your chapter, which is about kids. Yeah. Which is about allowing kids to participate. And there are people who are having these conversations at the elite level to make space for non-binary athletes. But more important to me is that we give all kids a chance to participate in sports with their friends. Yeah. Did you play youth sports growing up? I tried my best. I was terrible. I've always been like, I was never speedy, but I was like a donkey. I could go for hours. <laughs> and so I swam one mile when I was seven, two oh miles God. when I was eight and three miles when I was nine. So like I was a swimmer, but like when it came to like track and field and oh, and then playing field hockey and, you know, my legs would rub together and hurt because I've always had like, you know, <laughs> um, podgy legs as I'd call them. It was miserable. I have hockey thighs. I get it. Thank goodness there's grease for that now. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember why you swam as a kid? Because my mother made me. <laughs> I think, no, I swam as a kid because it was a healthy choice. I would go to swim meets, you know, most Saturdays during the season, you know, with my team. Like I swam butterfly in the oh menu relay. Like butterfly was my strongest stroke. Hardcore. Yeah, it was pretty hardcore. My parents like were pretty hardcore sometimes pushing me to do it. <laughs> it was an important thing to do. Yeah, that is a a theme that is probably true for all kids who played sports, right? Our parents wanted something to do with us after school. Yeah. And so it was something that we did with kids our own age. And we learned about other people and other families. And you learned as a swimmer how to show up on time, yep. how to you know work hard while you're there, how to find what you're good at, right? The butterfly is not an easy stroke. And so you probably had to try a couple other ones before you were like, this is the sweet spot for me. Yeah. So we learned how to fail. We learned how to make mistakes. We learn yeah. how to win and you learn how to lose and not be a jerk about it. And these are the yeah. lessons that all kids should have access to through participating in sport because it's not about the wins and the losses. No. I played women's college ice hockey and I hold the record at my alma mater for third all-time penalty minutes. Congrats. <laughs> so I broke a lot of rules very frequently <laughs> and... <laughs> It is a record that I hope nobody beats because I thought my coach was going to sideline me forever. <laughs> but I remember that stat only because it's funny. I yeah. can't tell you how many games we won, how many games we lost. I can't tell you how many goals I scored. I can't tell you like what was my most memorable game. 
But what I can tell you is that when I came out as trans in 2016, the first people that I called were my women's college hockey teammates. Yeah. And that's why we let kids play sports because you build these relationships and you build friendships and these become friends, you know, outside of the pool, off the ice that you, you, you've built something with, you have a, you've, shared experiences that take you into life. And yeah. I, I would like to think I'm a better person because I've played sports and participated in sports, learning all of these things about me that can only be learned through, you know, running around and getting your knees dirty. What was their reaction when you came out to them? Oh, nobody was surprised. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, we knew. <laughs> yeah, I came out as trans at the very end of 2016. And in January of 2017, I got an email from the head coach at my alma mater inviting me to play in the women's hockey alumni game. Yeah. And I emailed her back and I said, I don't know if this memo made its way to you, but I am a man and I don't identify as a woman. And I don't know if you meant to send me this email or if you just like haven't updated the list, tell me what you want to do. And she emailed me back and she was like, I know who you are. Like, I'm aware of what's happening for you. And I'm so happy for you. And you will always be part of the women's hockey family. And I went back and played in that alumni game. And I'm a little bit faster and I'm a little bit stronger. I also have been working out a little bit differently, but I still can't score a goal. Like, I still trip over the blue line. I still, you know, like my vision for the game hasn't changed. You know, if we're going to talk about hormones, while I can say that I've seen some physical changes due to hormone replacement therapy and taking testosterone. It has not made me any better of a hockey player. I can't stick handle. I still have slow feet. I still, you know, like I'm not a goal scorer. And those things aren't going to change no matter how many hormones, how much hormones I take. Yeah. Because we often focus on trans women in sports and kind of overlook the fact, you know, that trans men exist in sports too. And the argument against them competing in a male category is not as, as heavy or as strong or as vocal because we're under these assumptions that, you know, all men are strong and, you know, all girls are weak and it's just rubbish. But in fact, there are more individual biological differences between cisgender people than there are between transgender and cisgender people. And so I feel like my ideal world, rather than having sports into male and female categories, If you're athletic enough to fit within this range of achievement, then you can all compete in this level. And if you're in this category, you can compete in this level. And in fact, the U.S. Army has done something similar now with the physical requirements for jobs. Mm. It's now based upon the job you have to do rather than the gender you've been assigned. So what's your vision for the future? Could you see us ever moving into a world where we compete in sports based upon our physicality? as opposed to based upon our gender. I never thought the U.S. Army would be a role model for gender equity. The U.S. Army has done lots of things that we would deem progressive before society did, like integrating black people, women's pay, (laughs) trans people serving. Yeah, trans people and then don't serve. Or serve, but don't talk about it. I mean, I think that's kind of a loaded question. I think there are some sports where that is how people are grouped and how people are allowed to compete. My fiance is a Muay Thai fighter. They're a three-time national champion Muay Thai fighter in three different weight classes, which is one of my favorite statistics about them. That's a combat sport and it's done by weight. And so you fight someone who's in the same weight class as you. And I think that works for these, you know, sort of combat impact sports. The other example that I'll toss out is women's rugby. 
Yeah. If you look at the U.S. women's national rugby roster, and so yeah. you'll see women's rugby players who are 6'2", 210, and you'll see women's rugby players who are 5'4", 125. Mm-hmm. And they are still competing at the highest level of their sport because size is not always the determination for someone's athletic success. We talk about trans women being able to compete with women. It's very easy to say trans women, because they were assigned male at birth, are bigger, taller, faster, stronger, which is A, sexist. It's sexist and silly. (laughs) Yeah, which is garbage. And B, it's assuming that just because someone is tall, that they're going to be good at a sport. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Like someone could be 6'5 and be terrible at basketball. And that has nothing to do with how tall they are. This has everything to do with their genetics and their athleticism. And of course, we talked about this earlier, this has to do with access to coaching and to resources. And are you working with coaches who understand how to train you for the game? Are you resting? Are you getting the proper nutrition? Do you have facilities? And so even if someone is super tall, it doesn't mean they're going to be a good athlete unless you know, they have all these other things that go into it. So genetics and hormones are a piece of what makes someone athletically successful, but it's a very small piece. Mm. And it is a piece that has been given a megaphone as we talk about equity in sports, Yeah, because it's not the deciding factor in what makes someone a talented athlete. It is helpful, but it is not the deciding factor. What other factors do you think do make people successful in sports? I mean, I love to talk about the the Williams sisters because they are such an example of gender disparity in athletics. Serena is about to retire, and she's been one of the most remarkable tennis players in the history of women's tennis. And really, if you look at her stats in the history of all tennis, and it has been tossed out on the interwebs that, you know, the 150 whatever seated man could beat Serena in tennis. And this shows that women aren't as good. And what it actually shows is that men have systematically more opportunities to participate in sports. There's more money. There are more teams. There's more travel teams. There are more male coaches. And so the fact that Serena is only as good as she is, which is she's an amazing athlete, is of course hindered by the fact that as a young Black girl growing up, she had extremely limited access to resources. I think really the future of women's sports and how to make women athletes and all athletes better, if we want to talk about an equal playing field, it's giving everyone equal access to opportunities, to venues, to training, to camps, right? Summer camps cost money. You have to have the resources to afford being able to send your kid off. And so if we really want to talk about leveling the playing field, this is what it looks like. It's pouring more money and more opportunities into women's sports at a younger age so they can have all the access and perhaps success as as their male counterparts. Yeah. Well, let's get to your Lionheart story. So I consider Lionhearts to be people showing kindness and courage. What experiences of kindness and courage from the LGBTQ plus community have you seen? Mm, I'm grateful every day that I'm trans. I am, you know, I'm blessed to have a really wonderful community of trans friends in New York. I am blessed to have a family that loves and supports me. And I know that that is not everyone's story. And I also get to be part of other people's communities, which is really amazing. So one of my college hockey teammates was living in Toronto. She lived next door to a young family. And the mom approached her a few years ago and said, one of my kids is trans. I don't know how to support him. You're queer, like help. And my friend said, I am not the person to talk to you about this, but my friend Shane is. 
And so I got to be connected with this really amazing five-year-old trans boy who was learning how he fit into the world and how he fit into his skin. And, you know, it's two years later and I got a FaceTime from him and his mom the other day. I happened to be on vacation with a bunch of other trans people. Yeah. And so I got to flip my phone around and show him other trans adults. Because yeah. the only thing that I want for trans kids is that they grow up to be trans adults. Yeah. And showing him and being part of his life to see that he can grow up and be a person who is happy and who is successful and who has a relationship. Showing yeah. him that he can grow up and have friends who are like him. That he is not alone. That he is not weird. Or he might be weird, but it won't be, won't be because of his gender. <laughs> that he has a place and he has a community. And of course, the beauty of technology is that we get to do all of this in a sort of remote time. And his mom went out and started a support group for parents and other trans young people in Canada. And it's a nonprofit in Canada. And I've had the privilege to read a children's book on Zoom with them. So they're creating more and more community for trans kids to know each other and to see each other and know that they're not alone. And they can grow up and be whoever they want to be and they have yeah. the right to be happy like we all do. Yeah. That's such a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing, Shane. I hate that we're coming to the end of this conversation because I just feel like there are so many other questions and directions we can go in, but we're going to have to leave the listener and my dad <laughs> to go watch <laughs> the documentary Changing the Game. Can you tell me very briefly, tell me about what is it like to be an impact campaign producer for this documentary? This has been such a dream working with this film and with the filmmakers and of course with the athletes who are in the film. Sarah Rose Huckman, Mac Beggs, Andrea Yearwood, and later Terry Miller. They had such bravery and courage to share their stories as transgender teens amidst backlash and vitriol and hatred to really share their stories of love and hope and survival. And it has been beautiful producing the impact campaign for this. So the the film is on Hulu. I encourage Mm -hmm. everyone to check it out. Hulu has a free two-week trial if you are not yet a subscriber. And Hulu owns the rights exclusively to the United States. So if you are outside the United States, contact Hulu and tell them that they need to screen it in your country. Yes. But producing the impact campaign has meant bringing the film and panel conversations with our athletes with people from Athlete Ally who are writing the policies to include transgender athletes at all levels of sports, with Chris Mosier, who is an executive producer of the film, bringing panels and conversations to businesses, to professional sports leagues and teams like the NBA and WNBA, the NFL, the NHL, uh, being part of Pride Night Games to show trans kids in the audience or parents of trans kids or people who have a trans friend to show them that they too belong in sports, that they have a place. Oftentimes through the film and through these panels is the first time someone gets to meet a trans person. And I can't thank enough Terry, Andrea, Sarah, and Mac for being those introduction people that as we talk about banning trans women from sports and banning trans youth from sports, that you get a window into their lives to see that they are just kids. They are teenagers who just want a place to belong like all of us. As of this podcast recording, 19 states have banned transgender youth from participating in sports with their friends. 29 states do not have comprehensive non-discrimination protections for LGBTQ people. In a post-Obergefell time where we have the right to get married, we, you know, the right to same-sex marriage, in 29 states, you can still be 
excluded from public accommodations because of your sexuality or gender identity. So seeing this film and putting this film in front of as many people as possible introduces audiences to trans people and helps demystify this rhetoric of trans women who are trying to dominate and take over sports, because that's not the case. What we see in the film is trans kids who are just like every other kid who just want to participate with their friends, who want to learn how to be part of a team, and who want a chance to feel good in their bodies at a time when our bodies don't necessarily feel home, don't necessarily feel safe. And that's what sports gives us. Changing the Game is a must-watch film. And I did include it at the end of the chapter <laughs> to say, P.S., watch Changing the Game. You'll see. Like, it is, it's heartwarming. It's educational. It's, it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous film. And I feel very lucky to have had this conversation with you, Shane, for, as someone who is so involved in the film. So thank you for what you're doing for the entire community. <laughs> I appreciate you. Thank you, Fiona. Thank you for having me. And if one person hears this podcast and thinks differently about trans people and trans kids and how trans kids can fit into communities just like every other kid, then we've done our job. Yep. So thank you for giving me this opportunity. And I'm so, so grateful to be able to speak with you. And I can't wait to read your book when it's out. I can't wait to give you a copy. <laughs> <laughs> Today we'll, put, we'll put all of your contact information in the show notes for people to find you. So with that, thank you so much, Shane. Much love to you. Appreciate you. And um, I can't wait to see you soon. I love it. Thank you, Fiona. <laughs> Take care. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please go to nowwithfiona.com for more information, resources, and ways to help. Big shouts of gratitude to West One Music Group for our fantastic signature tune and to our amazing executive producer, Mindy Raymond. Be happy, remember to love always, and let your lion heart roar. This has been a production of Twin Flame Studios.